We can now answer the three previous questions which I had asked. I'm not referring to the original four, I'm merely referring to the later three. And what were these questions? The first question was, why is it that by Esav, the blessings or the brachas were unconditional? Yitzchok, when he gave it to Esav, he didn't place any conditional, condition. He said that, he named that you should enjoy the fat places of the earth and of course and enjoy the dew of the heaven which of course refers to a material abundance and wealth but he didn't make it conditional on Esau's behavior if he merited it or not however when you come to Yaakov they were conditional in other words if Yaakov deserves it then he gets the brachas and if he doesn't then he doesn't get the brachas and that is of course indicated in that God, as a judge, will give you these blessings. If you merit it, good. If not, they will be taken away. So the question, of course, is why is it by Esav he did not make it conditional, whereas by Yaakov he does? I mean, is this favoritism toward Esav? However, when you really think about it, the obvious truth of the matter is that Yitzchak was given the brachas conditionally even to Esav. Why? What do I mean? Because if you recall, when Yitzchak gave the brachas to Yaakov originally, he thought it was Esav. Right? And as Esau, he was going to give it conditionally. And this Yitzchak, of course, meant to give it to Esau. So obviously, since he thought that the person in front of him was Esau, and of course it turned out to be Yaakov, in reality, he was also going to give the brachas to, uh, to uh, Esau also conditionally. This is what we see. So obviously, Yitzchak was not playing favoritism to Esav by making it un uh, unconditional by Esav. Because he was going to give it to Esav even on a condition. Because originally when he thought it was Esav, he did give the brachas on condition. Now, therefore we just have to understand why is it <clears throat> that the brachas which were given <clears throat> at first, which of course Yitzchak thought was Esav, why was that given conditionally? Whereas the later brachas, which of course was given to Esav after he knew that it was Yaakov who got the brachas, why was it that those brachas were given unconditionally? And the answer to that, of course, is that by Esav, the blessings, the brachas that Yitzchak gave to Esav is nothing more than the benevolence, that love which is displayed by a father to his son. In other words, when a father wants to give blessings to a son, this is what happened between Yitzchok and Esav. In other words, that even if the son is not meritorious, still, because the father loves the son, he wants the son to keep them. Therefore, he gave it to Esav unconditionally. Because the nature of those brachas will remember as the beneficence that a father bestows to a son because he loves him. So obviously, he's not going to say to a son, if you are meritorious, keep them. If not, not. The love of a father to a son dictates that he will give his son blessings even if he's not worthy. And that is the nature of the brochus that uh, Yitzchak gave to Esav. And of course we know that Yitzchak wanted to bless Esav his son because of his fatherly or paternal compassion. Because it says, Vaya'an Yitzchak oviv, and Yitzchak his father answered him. So Yitzchak as a father, in other words through his paternal compassion, was given the brocha to Esav. Now, but by Yaakov, the blessings are not, are not just, or rather they're not the idea of the benevolence and the goodness that a father gives to a son. That is not the idea of the brochus that uh, Yitzchak gave to Yaakov. 
by Yaakov the blessings are really a method of tikkun of the kilkul in the Bria not the benevolence of good uh, or rather the benevolence and good which is bestowed by a father to a son it is really the idea that through this vehicle through this instrument namely material wealth, abundance and power you will able to be masak in the Bria of its kilkul this is the idea of the brochus by Yaakov. Therefore, at that time, when he was giving out the permanence of the Indian of Ben Yosef, which I had mentioned previously, of course, then what happens over there is that there it's given on the condition. In other words, if they observe, when, in other words, what he's telling Yaakov is this, if they observe the mitzvahs good, then they are masak in the Bria. Of course, and they are masak in the Bria, of course, through method A, which if you recall, was wealth and power. And as a result of that, they are also, or Yaakov and his descendants, will also earn ulim haba. But if they sin, then what are they doing? Not only are they not correcting the previous damage in creation, but they are being mechalkal the creation even further. They are damaging creation even to a greater extent than, was, was, than what was previously damaged. And therefore, of course, Yaakov and his descendants are destroying their chance of getting ulim haba. Then, of course... If that's the case, method A is the worst possible thing for Yaakov to have. Because he himself is losing Ulam Habo because of the power and wealth that he has. He's not using it in a good fashion. He instead is using it to do chatoim or sins. Therefore, of course, as a result of the, that, it is the best possible thing that it is taken away from Yaakov and his descendants. Therefore, this method, method A, is taken away. And they therefore get method B to massacre the Bria and then get Ulam Habo. And of course, we know that this is really the activation of Anhogasa Yichod. In other words, they go into the idea of method B, which is really exile, subjugation, and of course, persecution. Therefore, method B is given to them, Yaakov and his descendants, for their own good, as an alternative way of being massacred creation and earning Ulam Habo. Therefore, if that's the case, the blessings that were given, of course, to Yaakov are conditionally given for his own good. That's the idea. That since these blessings, brochus, are really the statement of the permanence of the Indian of Ben Yosef, and it's also a statement in the method by which he will be masakin the kalk, the, uh, the pagam, the kilkul in the Bria, that damage done to creation. If that is the case, then these ideas, this method is given to Yaakov on condition. That if he does this and is masakin the Bria from its kilkul and he gets Ulam Habo, terrific. However, if he does not do it and he sins, then for his own good, method A has to be removed so he won't sin with wealth and power because it's easier to sin in that direction. And instead, he will be given method B, which of course is exile, subjugation, and persecution. That is the way he will be masakin the Bria. And as a result of that, that is why Yitzchak gave to Yaakov these brachas conditionally. That if method A is not the appropriate method, then method B is the one that you will use to massacre the Bria for, Yit, for Yaakov's own good and his descendants. We now can proceed to question two. And that second question was, how is it possible that a father can bless a son, saying that if you deserve it, then you should have wealth and abundance and power. But if not, then let poverty, exile, subjugation and persecution be your lot in life. How does the father say this to his son? And that's exactly what Yitzchak said to Yaakov. That if you deserve it, then God as a judge will give you wealth and abundance and power. 
dominance. If you don't deserve it, then the Rebbe will take it away from you. How could a father say this to a son? Because obviously if God takes it away, what is left? Obviously, exile, subjugation, persecution, and of course poverty. But the answer, of course, is as I said before, that if, if these blessings were good, given from a father to the son, if that's what the nature of this blessing was, then what would happen, and because of the father's love for the son, then the question, of course, is very difficult. How can Yitzchak make these brachas conditional if it is the reflection or the indication of a father's uh, goodness and love for his son? Then the question appears. However, if these blessings are really methods for tikkun of kilkul and creation, and not just merely the bestowing of blessing, blessings from a father to a son, and of course, as a result of that, if these methods are really the method of tikkun and kilkul in creation, and as a result of that, one earns Olim Habar, then when you think about it, the greatest good of all, which of course is Olim Habar, that's what they earn, of course, if they are able to do this, then if the Jews are not adhering to the task of the tikkun of the kilkul of creation, but instead they're creating more kilkul by their chatoim, by their sins, and as a result of that, not only are they not, not being masak in the Bria, but they are also not getting Olim Habar then obviously it is the greatest good a father can give his son by providing another way to earn Olim Habba. That is the greatest good. In other words, by providing another way of removing or correcting the damage in creation. Even if the second method entails great suffering to the son. Why? Because in the end, and that's really what counts, the son will be receiving Olim Habba, which of course is the greatest good. And that is exactly what Yitzchuk did. In other words, since this... These blessings are really the method of being masak in the kilkul in the Bria. So obviously, if Klai Yisrael, who are the descendants of Yaakov, are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, they are being chaitim, they are sinning, and as a result, of not, they're not getting Elam Habor. So obviously, the greatest good a father can tell them, can do for them, is to remove that which is creating the environment in which they are sinning. So he tells them that you cannot have this, you can masak in the Bria through another way, and therefore you can get Olim Habo, because in the end, it is the acquisition of Olim Habo which is the greatest good. So if a father sees his son not adhering to the way of getting the greatest good, he will of course give him an alternate way of getting the greatest good. Even if that alternate way of course is inferior because it provides a lot of suffering, a lot of persecution. And that's what exactly what Yitzchak did when he gave the brachas to Yaakov Avinu. He gave him an alternative way to get Olim Habo if they cannot do it through the first way and therefore they don't get Olim Habo the first way, he gave them the second way. And that in, on the contrary shows the greatest love that Yitzchak has for his children because he gave him an alternative way of course of being Musak in the Kilkun and thereby of course earning Olim Habo. We are now up to the third question and that is that if material wealth and abundance and dominion is necessary for the requirements to remove the kilkel in creation, then obviously removing them from Yaakov Avinu makes it impossible for creation to be rectified. In other words, if you make material wealth and dominion contingent on the schusm or the merits of Yaakov, then obviously if Yaakov and his descendants sin, then he will lose this wealth and abundance and dominion. So if that's the case, then the world can never achieve its intended state, which of course is a complete tikkun. 
a complete rectification of the damage which was done and the deficiency which was originally placed in the Bria, which was the original task of man. In other words, if these conditions are removed from Yaakov as a result of his sins, then the universe or the world can never achieve that tikkun or that uh, intended state for which it was created in the first place. So the question is, how can Yitzchak make blessings contingent on the merits of Yaakov? In other words, because if he has no merits and he sins, he loses them. And of course, if he loses them, the Bria cannot have any tikkun. So if that's the case, how in the world can Yitzchak make these blessings contingent on Yaakov's actions? And the answer is, as I said before, that there are two ways to bring about the tikkun of the kilkel in creation. There is method A, which of course is wealth and dominance, and you direct these toward the service of the Rabbani Shlom. And there's method B, where you go into exile, subjugation, and persecution, and of course, in this way, by suffering at the hands of the klipa, in other words, of the evil nations who are agents of the sitrachal, and by remaining steadfastly righteous, then of course, method B is also a way of being the sak and the kilkel in creation. As a result of that, even if method A is taken away from the Jews because they are sinning, because they are doing chatoim, then method B, which of course is exile, subjugation, and persecution, is still available to the Jews to remove the damage in creation, and therefore bring, of course, the creation to its intended state of complete tikkun. And therefore, they can still earn ulam habor. So obviously, even though, uh, in other words, they can still earn ulam habor by their suffering. So therefore, obviously, even though Yitzchak makes the blessings that he gave Yaakov contingent on the acts of Yaakov, still, because there also is a method B, it of course means that if Yaakov loses the first way of bringing about the Tikkun in creation, they also, of course, will have method B, so therefore the world can still achieve its intended state. Now, to go further. Before I had asked four questions, before these three, of course, which, of course, I have not really answered as yet. Now, to do this, however, to answer the previous four questions, which, of course, was a takeoff on Vayif, that Esav cried as a result of the fact that he realized that he did not get the brachas, now, those four questions which I had asked at that time, I have not answered. But, in order to answer these four questions, it still requires one more understanding of a medrash. In other words, we have to understand a very difficult medrash in medrash Rabbah. And, when we understand this medrash, and we couple it with all the previous information, the previous ideas which we have gathered until now, we will, this will enable us to understand the previous four questions which, of course, I had posed. Now, there's a very interesting, very fascinating, and an incredibly difficult medrash to understand in Bracious Rabbah. What does it say there? It says there, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi Bechalafto Imer. Rabbi Yossi Bechalafto says, It says in the Prosecut, And you shall serve your brother. Yitzchak says to Esav, and you shall serve your brother. Now, if you look at that word ta'avoid, and you shall see, you will see that it is spelled without a vav. Therefore, the Cree, when we read it, we say, that's the Cree. You read it, and you shall serve your brother, ta'avoid. But if you notice, it is written without a vav. So therefore, you can read it as the ksiv, 
and you shall oppress or subjugate your brother, depending on if there is a vav or there is no vav. Since, however, there is no vav really written in the Torah, we can read it via sochichot ta'aved, and you shall subjugate, you shall oppress, or you shall enslave your brother. This is the real ksiv. Now, Rabbi Yossi Bachalafta says that since it says ta'avoid without a vav, you can also read it via sochichot ta'aved, you shall enslave your brother. So therefore, it comes out that what Yitzchak is telling Esav is that you shall enslave or subjugate or oppress your brother. This is what Yitzchak is telling him. So Rabbi Yossi Bachalafta says that what Yitzchak is saying to Esav is this. If you see your brother Yaakov throwing off the yoke of Torah and mitzvahs, then decree his destruction and you will become his master. Because that's what it says. And you shall enslave your brother. So Rabbi Yossi Bachalafta says that what Yitzchak is telling Esav is that if you see uh, uh, Yaakov who has these brachas, if you see him throwing off the yoke of Torah and mitzvahs, then on the contrary, decree his destruction and then you will become his master. Okay? This is what Rabbi Yossi Bachalafta Dashens, he expounds these particular ideas. Now, therefore, it says further in the Medrash, it says in Yeshaya, a Pasuk. What does it say? That Yeshaya says, Ki ato ovinu, Behold, you are our father. Ki Avraham lo yidonu. In other words, Yeshaya is saying that you, God, are our father. But Avraham lo yidonu. Avraham did not know us. In other words, he's not considered as a father. Why? Because, and, and the Mephosh mentioned there, because at the Brisbane Absurd, when God made the agreement with Avram, he indicated to Avram that the Jews would be enslaved in Egypt over 400 years. And at that time, Avram didn't bother praying for the Jews. So therefore, Avram lo yedonu. Avram did not know us. He did not pray for our mercy and compassion. The Israel lo yakironu. And Yisrael, who is Yaakov, he didn't recognize us either. In other words, at the Sulam, by the ladder, where the Rabbanishim appeared to Yaakov when he was on his way to love, and he appears to him into an image, of course. He appeared to him <clears throat> standing next to a ladder, and angels were going up and down. He indi- it's indicated there, according to Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, that the Rabbanishim showed uh, Yaakov Avinu that the Jews would be enslaved, of course, by four nations. And at that time also, Yaakov did not pray for the welfare of the Jews. Therefore, Yeshaya says, Ki ato ovino, you are our father only. We can only rely on you. We cannot rely even on Avram, because Avram, no yidonu. Avram didn't mention or pray to you regarding the Jews when it was revealed to him about the subjugation or the oppression of Egypt. And Yisrael, Yaakov, did not pray to the Jews when it was revealed to him that the Jews would be subjugated by four nations. Now, so the Medrash asks, where's Yitzchak? It doesn't even mention uh, Yitzchak, you know, that you, God, are our father, not like Avram and not like Yaakov. Why doesn't the Medrash, why doesn't the, uh, the uh, Pasuk and Yeshai also say, where's Yitzchak? It was that Yitzchak also perhaps didn't pray for Klai Yisrael, and therefore we can only rely on God. So he says, so the Medrash com- continues and answers that it doesn't men- mention Yitzchak because a person can say to Esau, decree the destruction of Yaakov when you associate him with the others? When you consider Yitzchak and Ov 
that you would even associate him with Avram and Yaakov? If a person can tell Esav that you should destroy, you should decree the destruction of Yaakov, does Yitzchok, of course, deserve to be mentioned with Avram and Yaakov? This is the way the Medrash answers. And not only does Rabbi Yossi Bachalafta say this, but even Rav Huna expounds on Ta'aved in the same manner. So you have two G'dayli, of course, G'daylim of Kleinsworld, who are saying that Yitzchak did a tremendous sin. That he tells Esau, decree their destruction and you will become the master of Yaakov. This is what the Medrash says. So of course the obvious question which is really an incredible question. How could Yitzhak have said this to Esav, even if his compassion was aroused? First of all, doesn't he love Yaakov also? Yaakov is also a son. So how could he tell Esav that you should decree the destruction of Yaakov? It's incredible. The second thing is that if the creation achieves its intended state, in other words, that tikkun kloli, the tikkun of the kilkul and the chasan, and therefore the entire pur- purpose of creation is only realized through Yaakov and his descendants, then if you tell Esav that decree is destruction, if of course Yaakov and the Yidnach destroyed Chas then the entire creation doesn't have a tikkun. And obviously its intended purpose can never be fulfilled. So how can Yitzchak tell that to Esav, decree his destruction? And of course, the, uh, the, 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 uh, another difficulty in the same question is that, wait a minute, Yitzchak is an Ov. An Ov has incredible Kedusha and Tzitkus. Is it possible that Yitzchak can have done such, a, uh, uh, such a, a kind of statement which no father in his right mind would ever do? What is the meaning of this Medrash? And the Medrash ends. It's a Midrash Plio. It is an incredibly difficult Medrash to understand. Now, however, one can begin to understand the Medrash by the following ideas. The truth is that Yitzhak never said that to Esau, that he should decree, you know, to tell Esau that he should decree the destruction of Yaakov and therefore become the master. He never said that. But then if, if, he, never, if he never said that, you may ask me, then what does the Medrash mean? The Medrash clearly says that he said this to Yaakov. And the second thing is that what's the sin? If he never said this to uh, Esau regarding Yaakov, then not only what does Rabbi Yossi mean in the Medrash, but what was the sin of, of uh, Yitzchak? And we see obviously sin because we see that he wasn't mentioned in the Nevoah by Yeshaya because it only mentions Avram and, ya- and, and Yisrael, which is Yaakov, as the Ovois. But it does not mention Yitzchak as the Ovois. So you see clearly that the nevuah that was given to Yeshaya does not want to mention Yitzchak as an Ov because if he did such a sin, he doesn't deserve to be mentioned as an Ov along with uh, Avram and, of course, Yaakov. So, of course, you may ask me the question is, if Yitzchak never said this to Esau, then what does the Medrash mean, of course, and what was the sin, and, of course, what in the world is referred to in the nevuah by Yeshaya? Therefore, to answer this question... <clears throat> We can understand it in this particular manner. When Esav cried, when it says Vayifch, and Esav cried, do you know what the significance of those that tear was? When Esav cried, this actually made him eligible to get the brachas back. If you recall, Esav lost the brachas because of his wishes. But when he cried, this actually made him eligible to get those blessings back 
those blessings of wealth and dominance. Why? Since he had the original claim to them, and since he exhibited a true remorse and regret at their loss, as I explained previously, the understanding of that, then once he cried, he is able to, he is eligible to get the brochus back. In other words, if Asaph had never cried at the fact that Yaakov had gotten his brochus, then even if Yaakov Avinu would lose those brochus because of the chatoim that he would do, then the blessings would become onerous. They wouldn't go, in other words, the blessings of wealth and dominance would be taken away from Yaakov. That is true. But they would not have reverted to Esau because Esau never exhibited any kind of remorse at the loss of these brachas. Therefore, the brachas certainly would not have reverted to Esau, even though Esau was the original owner. Because I have said, since he doesn't care for them at all, he doesn't exhibit any remorse or regret, the brachas don't go back to Esau. Even if Yaakov loses them because of his own fault, because of the sins of Yaakov and his descendants. However, but since Esau cried, it indicates that he wants them back. So therefore, the fact that he was the original owner and the fact that he cried indicates that he wants them back and therefore there's a true regret or remorse. Therefore, if Yaakov and his offspring lose them because of their own chatoim, because of their own sin, then Esav can reclaim them because they are now ownerless and Esav can reclaim them. Therefore we see that the tears of Esav that he shed, those three tears that he shed when he found out that Yaakov Avinu took his brochas, these enabled him to become eligible to get them back. It enabled him to reclaim these brochas when Yaakov doesn't have them anymore because of his own sins, because of his own fault. That is a significant one of them, of the tears of Esau, that they enable him to become eligible to again get the brachas if Yaakov by his own fault sins and therefore loses them. Now, when Yitzchak saw this, when he saw Esau cry, his compassion as a father was aroused, as I said, by Ya and Yitzchak Oviv, that Yitzchak answered as a father, his compassion, his mercy was aroused toward Esau. As a result of that, he blessed them. He blessed them with what? He blessed them with material wealth and abundance. As it says, That you should live in the fertile regions of the earth. And you should of course get the dew of the heavens. Which of course is the, a blessing referring to material wealth and abundance. Now, as a result of the tears, Yitzchak, as I said, was aroused to compassion to Esau. And as a result of that, he blessed them. But he also did... But he also did another very significant thing. And what was that? He revealed to him that he actually may get those brochas back if Yaakov does not have them anymore. Because, of course, of the sins of Yaakov. In other words, because of the fault of Yaakov himself. In other words, he revealed to Esau the suid, the secret, that he can get those brochas back. Why? Because those tears that you, Esav, are shedding now make you eligible to get those brachas back. So in other words, made Esav eligible to get the brachas back. And those same tears aroused the compassion of Yitzchak to bless Esav. And also aroused the compassion of Yitzchak to reveal the secret of how Esav can get them back. Because Esav now is shy to get them back. He is eligible to get them back because those very tears enable him to get them back. Therefore, we see, if Esav had not cried, 
then he wouldn't be eligible to get them back, even if Yaakov would lose them. And therefore, Yitzchak never would have revealed to Esau this seed, this secret of Yaakov's weakness. Why? Because this knowledge could not benefit Esau in any way. Because even if Yaakov loses them because of his own sins, his own fault, Esau still cannot get them back. But when Yitzchak beheld, when Yitzchak beheld that Esau cried, then his compassion was aroused, he blessed him, and he revealed the secret to him of Yaakov's weakness, because Esau's tears itself made him eligible to receive those blessings back from Yaakov, in other words, when Yaakov would lose them because of his own fault. Therefore, since Esau is now eligible to get those blessings back because of those tears of remorse, then Yitzchak now reveals to him the suid, the secret, because of his paternal compassion for Esav. This is all that Yitzchak did. Yitzchak did not tell Esav that you should decree his destruction. He merely told him that you should know. I am going to give you a blessing for material wealth. That's one. And not only that, but I am going to show you, since you are making yourself eligible for those blessings back, I am going to show you how to get them back. How? That if Yaakov and his descendants sin, you can get them back. Because these tears indicate that you have true remorse and therefore you can get them back. That's all Yitzchak did. He did not tell Esau that you should decree the destruction of Klai Yisrael. But if you think about it, the results of the fact that, a that Yitzchak revealed the secret to Esau had devastating consequences to Yaakov and his descendants. In other words, the results of this suid to Esau, what was the suid? that the brochas which were given to Yaakov is conditional on his merits. And therefore it is possible for Yaakov and his descendants, the Jews, to lose them. And therefore it is also possible, because of your tears, that you can reclaim them. This had incredible significance, horrendous repercussions for the Jews. Because if you think about it, now that Esau realized that he can get these brochas back, and he can get the blessings of power and dominion, then it comes out that even though the only way Yaakov could lose these blessings is if Yaakov sins, correct? However, since it is in Esav's complete interest, because he wants the brothers back, so what's Esav going to do? He's going to sit by Yaakov and wait until he does a chet, and then he's going to makatrig, he's going to prosecute Yaakov continuously, because even though the only way Yaakov can lose this brachas is through his own sins, since Yaisav knows that he can get them back, he can get the power back, so what he's going to do, he's going to sit and makatreg, prosecute continuously against Yaakov and against all his descendants in order to secure the brachas for himself and his descendants. So what do we see? We see an incredible thing. That Yitzchak, by revealing this soid because of his fatherly compassion, inadvertently and unwittingly is giving to Esau a devastating weapon. What is that weapon? The fact that Esau is now going to makatreg or prosecute Klai Yisrael when they do chatoim. And of course, he is giving him a, a tremendous devastating weapon with, with which to destroy Yaakov. And of course, that is exactly what's been happening through the thousands of years. That Esau and his malach, the Sitra Achra, has been makatreg whenever Klai Yisrael does chatoim, and because of the incessant, continuous kitrug, or prosecution, the Jews have incredibly suffered for thousands of years. 
Therefore, what Yitzhak was inadvertently giving when he was revealing the secret to Esau is he was allowing Esau to know that if he is makatul against Klaisrol, Klaisrol will lose those brachos and he, of course, will get them. This is what Yitzchak did. In other words, Esau therefore continuously waits for Yaakov to sin and then he pounces upon him, upon him and his descendants, the Jews. How? By prosecuting him before the Rabbanishim. He's always tovehem, the dinah. He prosecutes him in the heavenly court whenever they do sins. And if this was not so, if Esav was not Zuchel to the original Brochus, then the only one who would makatek really against Klaisvil, of course, is the Rabbanishim. And the Sitra whatever. But since the Rabbanishim is a Baal then the Jews would not have gone so quickly into Golis. They would not have gone so speedily or they would not have perhaps have been as much persecuted and gone through as much sufferings as if there would be no prosecutor. Because the Rebbe possibly would have delayed that kind of thing and waited for Klai Yisrael to do more tshuva. The Rebbe could have had other ways of getting Klai Yisrael to do the mitzvahs or to do tshuva or whatever, or to bring tikkun of the kirkul in the Bria. But since you've got an active agent, an active prosecutor, who's sitting there, always prosecuting the Jews, because he has everything to gain, he can gain the blessings, the power and dominion which he wants. Therefore, of course, Yitzchak inadvertently and unwittingly gave to Esau a devastating weapon. And that weapon is, of course, the knowledge that if he wants, he can get that power back. And the way he does that, of course, is by being a Catholic against Klayosun. Now, we see that Yitzchak therefore did not tell Esau that you should decree their destruction. He never said that. But since the repercussions of revealing to Esau the secret or the seed of Yaakov's weakness ultimately would enable Esau to try to destroy the Jews because of his own interest, it's as if as Yitzchak had told Esau directly to decree his destruction. And that is what the Medush means. Therefore, Yitzchak therefore is kept out of the Navu of Yeshaya as if he was not a true of. Because since Yitzchak is indirectly responsible for the Ketrugim against Klai Yisrael, the Navu in Yeshaya leaves out the mention of Yitzchak as a real and true of. Because how could you mention him with the other of us? Since he indirectly is responsible. But of course he never told Esau that you should, of course, decree the destruction of Klai Yisrael. But by giving him the information the knowledge that he now, since he shed tears, can get back or reclaim the brachas that he gave Yaakov. Even though the only way Yaakov Avinu loses those brachas, it still means that Esav, of course, will be a continuous and persistent makatreg, persecutor, of course, and prosecutor against Yaakov and his descendants, who are the Jews. So in other words, it comes out like this, that Yitzhak says, You shall serve your brother, if they, you, know, you shall serve your, your brother if they do the mitzvahs. And if they don't, you know, if they don't do the mitzvahs, if they sin, then you can enslave your brother. Not because, you know, he's not telling him you should destroy your brother, but he said it is possible for you to get the, your, the blessings back, to have power and dominion. Therefore, it's possible to come out that your brother will be enslaved to you, will serve you. Why? Because they will have lost the blessings and your tears of remorse entitles you to reclaim those blessings because you originally had them. This is what Yitzchak, of course, is saying to 
uh, to Esav. But he never told Esav to destroy Yaakov. Because, of course, this is unthinkable because of the previous difficulties. However, since it comes out that Esav could now continuously be a Makatvig on Yaakov, because he now has the Achilles heel of Yaakov and the Jews, it is, if, it is, if, it is as if Yitzchak said to Esav, that when you see Yaakov throw off the yoke of Torah, in other words, when Yaakov does sins, then decree his destruction. Be the makatrig. That's what it means to decree a destruction. Decree it. Be a makatrig against Yaakov. And, you, and because, of course, Yaakov will, of course, as a result of the kitrug and the fact that he sinned, he will lose the din, the judgment. And, of course, he will lose the blessings of power and wealth because of his sins, then obviously you will become his master because you will get these blessings back, the blessings of wealth and power. We now understand what the Medish really says, that not that Yitzchak told Esav to decree the destruction of Yaakov. All Yitzchak told Yaakov, because he, had, he felt sorry for him, is that it is possible for you to get the brachas of power and dominion back. It's possible. When? Only if Yaakov sins and by his own fault will lose the blessings that he has. <clears throat> However, since it is possible for you to get it back, then, Yaakov, then Yitzchak is revealing that to Esau because his compassion was aroused. But inadvertently what comes out is that he's revealing to Esau the actual instrument, how Esau can actually destroy Yaakov. And that is of course by being makatvi continuously against Yaakov, and of course, trying to remove the brachas in that fashion. <clears throat> this is then what the Medrash means. That since Yitzchak inadvertently told him this information and revealed the secret, it's as if he told him that you, should, you can destroy, you can decree the destruction of Yaakov and, and of course, Klai Yisrael, and you can get the, this power back and you can enslave them. It's as if he told him that directly. And therefore, of course, because of that inadvertent shgoga, Yeshaya does not even mention Yitzchok when he refers to the other two of us. And uh, this is what the Medrash means. Now, <clears throat> we can now answer the four questions which I had previously asked with all the information which we have now gathered, especially in the concept of, uh, the, concept of the fact of what Yitzchok did or what he told Esav. <clears throat> However, <clears throat> the uh, first question, to repeat the first the questions, the first question is, what was the significance of the tears of Esav? This was the first question I asked, I asked. And we now understand what the significance of the tears of Esav were. We now see that four things happened as a result of these three tears. And two of these things which happened, they brought catastrophic implications, tremendous significance and consequences to Yaakov and his descendants who are the Jews. The first thing is that they aroused <clears throat> the paternal compassion of Yitzchak for Esau. He felt sorry for him. His compassion was aroused. And the Pasuk indicates that by saying, Vaya'an Yitzchak Oviv. And Yitzchak, his father, answered him. Yitzchak as a father with paternal compassion answered Esau. That is the first thing those tears did. The second thing those tears did is that Yitzchak blessed Esau with material wealth and abundance. As the Pesach says, 
that your dwelling place, your residence, of course, should be from the best regions of the earth, and of course, and and you should be uh, get the dew of the heaven. So therefore, we see that he's blessing him with material wealth and abundance. But in that blessing is not the blessing of dominion, only material wealth and of course abundance, not dominion. This is the second consequence of the tears uh, that Asaph had. Now, the third consequence of the tears that Asaph had, in other words, the significance of the tears that Asaph had, the third one, is that they, in other words, the, in other words these tears made Asaph eligible to reclaim the brochus, the blessings, even though he lost them because of his riches or evil deeds. In other words, that even though Asaph had lost the brachas, as we know previously, because of his uh, tremendous riches, his evil deeds, these tears made him eligible. They made him a candidate to again reclaim the brachas. Why? Because basically, since the tears which he emitted indicate true remorse and true regret, in a good and commendable reason, in other words, since he had remorse and regret, as exhibited by the tears, what was this remorse and regret all about? The fact that he was not blessed by his father, whom he loved. In other words, Asaph loved his father very much, and he certainly wanted to be blessed by his father. And since, of course, Yitzchak did not bless him, he gave it to Yaakov, of course, Asaph then was, of course, very sad. And, he, of course, he exhibited tremendous amount of bitterness. So this is the uh, first idea which is behind the regret and the remorse of Asaph, as exhibited by his tears. In addition to that, he also did not fulfill kibbut of, because we know that it is a tremendous pleasure when a father gives a blessing to a son. And Asaph, who was so much into kibbut of Ain, wanted certainly his father to bless him, merely, if not just, uh, if not, uh, for just the reason that his father should bless him and thereby get pleasure. So therefore, these two ideas, the idea that he wanted to be blessed by a father that he loved very much, and the second idea is that he wanted to be blessed by his father in order to give his father pleasure, the pleasure that accrues to a father from blessing a son, and therefore, of course, he would fulfill the mitzvah of Kibra of Aim, of course, which he was tremendously uh, very much into. Therefore, as a result of that, he, of course, felt tremendous remorse, and, of course, as a result of that, Vayef, he cried. Now, besides the tears, of course, we know that he originally had possession or claim to these brachas. Therefore, as a result of both of these ideas, that he had originally claimed to them, and also that he shedded tears, which indicated remorse and regret at not having them for the two previous reasons which I had just mentioned, as a result of that, he was again eligible to reclaim the brachas, if and only if, they are taken away from Yaakov and his descendants. And of course, and therefore, they are ownerless. At that point, when they are taken away from Yaakov and his descendants, because of the Chatoim of Yaakov and his descendants, and of course, and at that point, of course, when they have no owner, nobody possesses them, then Asaph can go and reclaim them for his own because of the fact that he originally had claim to them and also because he exhibited a true remorse and a true regret, of course, at not having these brochas. And it's important to understand that the remorse and regret that Asaph had is for a good and a very commendable reason. It's a schus, a merit, that he wanted these brochas, either for kibbutz or aim, or he wanted the brochas because, of course, he loved his father. 
So that's chus that he wanted the brochus very much. And the schus that he shed tears over them for that good and commendable reason and also for the idea that he had the original claim enables him to get them back when Yaakov and his descendants sin and therefore they are ownerless. So that is the third significant idea that the tears uh, were able to produce. That Esav now is eligible again to reclaim the brochus if Yaakov and his descendants lose them. I will continue this year next week. To continue from last week, I had mentioned what the significance of the tears of Asaph, what they were, and I had mentioned so far three of them. I am now going to mention the fourth significant idea that was the repercussion of the tears of Asaph. And that is that as a result of the tears of Asaph, Yitzchak revealed to Esav the weakness of Yaakov and his descendants concerning the brochus in the fact that the way Yaakov and his descendants retain the brochus is conditional upon observance of the mitzvahs. This is what Yitzchak revealed, that soid, that secret. In other words, he told Esav that don't worry, it is possible for you to get those brochus back. Those brochus of wealth and dominion, it is possible for you to again get them back. Because the secret is that those brochus are conditionally given to Yaakov only if he observes the mitzvahs. However, obviously, if he does not observe the mitzvahs, then of course they are taken away and they are ownerless. And therefore, of course, it is now obvious that since you are eligible for them, as I had mentioned previously, you can now get them back. Therefore, what Yitzchak told him is that if Yaakov observes the mitzvahs, then he maintains or retains possession of wealth and dominion, uh, which is, of course are the brachas. However, in other words, the brachas remain with him. But if he sins, then they are taken away from him. And since you exhibited a true remorse because of your tears at the loss of these brachas for commendable reasons, which I had mentioned previously, then in that schus, in that merit, and the fact that you are the original owner of them or the original person who was involved with them, of course, because of this, they will be given over to you. And they won't be given over to any other nation after Yaakov loses them. That is what Esav received. That even if Yaakov, lo Yaakov loses these brochus of wealth and dominion, they won't be given over to any other nation. Instead, they will be given over to you because of the the schus of the tears, and also the fact that you are the original possessor of them. Now, this is the significance, of course, of the tears that Esav had, four of these ideas. Now, when Esav realized that he can get the brochus back, what happens? He immediately becomes a constant makatrik. He immediately becomes a constant and incessant prosecutor of the Jews. In other words, if they sin then he's always prosecuting the Jews that they may lose their brachas. Since, in fact, he knows that he now can reclaim them. If he couldn't reclaim them, then he could never be that makatre, because what's the difference? But since he knows that he can get the brachas back and get that wealth and power and dominion, then obviously he's a constant makatre. He is always involved in prosecuting the Jews before the Rebbe in order to get, of course, these brachas. This then is the significance of Esav's tears. In review, one, that they aroused Yitzchak's compassion. Two, that as a result of the tears, Yitzchak blessed Esav. The third significance is that as a result of the tears, 
Esav became eligible to reclaim the brachas, which he had originally been the possessor of. And the fourth idea, or the fourth significance of these brachas, is that since he is now eligible, he has now found out how to get them back. In other words, Yitzchak revealed to him the secret of how to get them back. Because, of course, because he was eligible to get them back. And as a result of that, of course, he has become a tremendous makatre. The last two reasons, of course, the fact that he has become eligible to get them back, and the fact that Yitzchak's compassion was aroused to tell him that it is possible for you to get them back, of course, had devastating consequences for Klai Yisrael. Because Esav is an incessant, constant prosecutor against Klai Yisrael. Always bringing them to the court of law before the Rabbanu Shlom. This then, we now answer with this, the significance of the tears that Esav shed. And we see that there are basically four ideas. Now, the second question which I had asked previously, if you recall, and the third question was that Zoya. What did the Zoya say? The Zoya says that Hadamos Halolu, the tears of Esav, the tears that Esav shed, Hayriduli Yisrael, these tears brought down the Jews, Legolos, to exile. And when these tears, the tears of Esav, will be spent, by virtue or through the tears of Jews, Israel, then then they will go out of exile. This is what the Zohar said. And I had asked two questions. The first question is, how do these tears exile the Jews? Just because Esau cried, does that mean we have to go into Golos? The second question is, how does the tears of Israel counteract Esau's tears to leave, to get us to leave the exile? What exactly is going on here? What is the mechanism by which Esau is able to force the Jews into exile? And you know, his tears are able to force the Jews into exile. And in what way, what is the mechanism by which we, through our own tears, are able to leave the goals of the exile? What does the Zoya mean? Well, based on the ideas until now, we can really understand the Zoya. The Zoya is nothing more than a profound revelation of the principles which we have learned until now. And what is that? The first thing it's very important to know is that the tears of Esau cannot bring down the Jews to Golos. There is nothing that can make Jews suffer. There is only one thing that can make Jews suffer. You know what that is? The sins of the Jews. The chatoim of Jews. The chatoim of Jews is what makes other nations powerful. It is what brings Jews into exile. It is not the tears of Esau. It is not the merit or schusim of any other nation. It is when Jews do sins, that is when, of course, it is decreed that they go into exile. So therefore, of course, what does the Zoya mean? If it, is only, if it is only the sins of Yaakov and his descendants that can bring the Jews into exile, and not the tears of Esau, and not the, tear, or not the tears of any other nation, and not the merits or schusim of any other nation, so then what does the Zoya mean that the tears of Esau does, in effect, bring down the Jews into Golos? Well, we now understand it, exactly how it works. We know that the tears of Esav made Esav eligible to reclaim the brachas. That's what it did. It also enabled Esav to find out that he was eligible, because Yitzchak revealed that suid, 
the weakness of Yaakov and his descendants. So in essence, the fact that Esau cried, what does that mean? It means that the tears of Esau enabled Esau in actuality to make to, to Esau make an incessant prosecutor. That's what it did. In other words, by making Esau eligible to receive the brochus, and by understanding the secret of the weakness of Yaakov, those tears made Esav in actuality a tremendous makatrig, an incessant and constant persecutor of the Jews. In other words, it is not the tears which bring the Jews into Gullus, but it is the constant and incessant kitrug against the Jews, which was made possible by the tears of Esav, which of course have forced the Jews into Gullus. That is what does it. In other words, it is not the tears themselves which place the Jews into exile. The tears have no meaning. They have no effect on the Jews. It is only their sins. But it is the fact... It, in other words, it is not the tears themselves that does the job of forcing the Jews into Gullus. But rather, it's the results of the tears. The re- repercussions, the outcome, the significance of what those tears indicated. And that is that it made Esau a constant and incessant kitrug against the Jews, and because Esau has brought us to the Bezdin Shemayim, and has constantly prosecuted, and as a result of the sins of the Jews, which has enabled, of course, uh, the fact that the Jews have lost the Dintera, the case, they therefore have to go into exile. That is what the Zoya means. That is the tears of Esau, in other words, it, it is that which was caused by the tears of Esau, namely his ability to be a makatreg because he is eligible to reclaim the brochus and he knows the weakness of Yaakov and his descendants. It is that outcome of the tears that has enabled Esau, of course, to bring the Jews into Golos. Now, besides that, let us look at the second part of the Zoyan, where it says that the tears of the Jews will counteract the tears of Esav and will bring us out of Gullus. What does that mean? But what it means is that if you recall, when the Jews lose the brochus, what are they really losing? They are merely losing a method, method A, if you recall, which is Masak in the Kilkul in creation. And what is method A? The fact that they have wealth and dominion and power, and in that way they are able to Masak in the, the Kilkul in creation. Now, that is what they lose when they lose the brochus. But they don't lose the ability to massacre the Bria, merely that particular way. Therefore, when the Jews lose the brochus, what are they, they are merely losing the method A of being massacre the Kilkun creation. And instead, what must they do? They now have to massacre the Kilkun creation through method B, which is what? Which is exile, subjugation, and persecution. Therefore, the Kitruk of Esav, which was made possible by his tears, and the sins of Jews, of course, caused method A of the Tikkun of creation to be taken away, and that's wealth and power, and method B, which is exile, subjugation, and persecution, to be given instead. In other words, it is now substituted for method A. Therefore, as a result of that, they go into Gullus, which, of course, is method B. That's what the Zoya means. In other words, as a result of the tears of Esau, which has made him a Makatrag, the Jews go into exile. And the way they leave exile, of course, is by method B. Because since method A is taken away, 
they have met it be, which is the goalists, the persecutions, and so on. Therefore, as a result of that, they go into method B in order to massacre the Kilkel in creation, and when they will have accomplished the Tikkun of Kilkel in creation through the exile, subjugation, and persecution, then the Ketrugum of Esau will stop, because, and they will leave the Gullus, because the Jews will have brought the universe toward its intended perfected state by their suffering, which is of course symbolized by their tears. In other words, we now understand what the Zoya says, that when the tears of the Jews will have counteracted the tears of Esau, they will leave the exile. What does that mean? Because the tears of the Jews is method B. That is the exile, the subjugation, and the persecution which is experienced by the Jews. Therefore, they have those tears. But as a result of those tears, they can leave the exile because through method B, they have been massacred in the Bria. Therefore, as a result of the tears of the Jews, which is another statement of saying that through method B, when method B will have accomplished the Tikkun of the Kilkun creation, they now can leave it. And of course, once they've accomplished this task, of course, Esav now has no more claim against the Jews because they have been massacred the Bria. That is what the Zoya means. And we can now read the Zoya this way, that the prosecutory attempts by Esav against the Jews, which have been made possible by his tears, they have caused method A of to, which of course can create correct creation and of course method A is wealth and power to be taken away from the Jews now as a result of that they have also caused of course method B to come about which of course replaces method A which of course can also create correct creation and method B we know is exile, subjugation and suffering when the Jews will have suffered enough as indicated by their tears and will have corrected the Kilkel in creation, then the Kitrig against Israel will cease and they will leave the exile to be permanently redeemed by the Rabbani Shalom through the two Mashiachim, which is of course Mashiach ben Yosef and of course Mashiach ben David. Because the Yidin, the Jews, will truly have been massacred in the Kilkel and the Bria through their sufferings, which of course is method B. This is what the Zoya really says. In other words, what the Zoya reveals it is that these tears by Esav have enabled him to be an incessant and constant prosecutor against the Jews, against Klai Yisrael, that has really brought us into the Golas. And, of course, perhaps if Esav was not a prosecutor in that sense, because let's assume he had never cried for these brachas, therefore he would never be eligible, therefore not only can he not prosecute Klai Israel because he's not eligible but Yitzchak would never reveal to him that secret. Perhaps if that would have been the case, had Esav not cried, then of course perhaps the Jews could have been massacred without a total loss of method A without a total loss of wealth and power but anyway, be it as it may because Esav now has the ability to makatrig against Klai Israel because of his own interest that he gets the wealth and power back from Yaakov as a result of that of course it has driven in Jews into Golis, of course because of their own sins, but, but because also of the prosecutory constant attempts by Esau. And of course, since they are now into method B, which of course is the assurance that they must suffer. And this of course is indicated by their tears that they of course exhibit. Then when that happens, of course, they will then have been massacred in the Bria 
they will have removed the kilku in the Bria and therefore they will go out of Golis. In other words, they will leave the method in which they are now trying to be misak in the Bria. Because Golis is nothing more than method B of doing that. And of course, at that point, of course, the Kitruk of Esau will cease because once the Bria has achieved its Tikkun, of course, then there is nothing more to Makatrik against the Jews. They, of course, have done their job. Now, of course, once Yaakov and his descendants lose the Brochus, then they revert to Esau and his offspring. And since we know that Esau has an abiding hate for Yaakov, right? As it is stated that Esau sinneth Yaakov, that there's a halacha that Esau hates Yaakov, and the Torah itself reveals that, because it says Vayistoim Esau is Yaakov, and Esau hated Yaakov. The Torah itself says that in Pasha's Torah list, which I will mention later. Therefore, since Esau truly hates Yaakov, once he gets the brachas, what's he going to do? He's going to enslave, oppress, and persecute Yaakov and his descendants with the very power and dominion that are given to him by these brachas. In other words, what I'm saying is that the mere fact that Yaakov and his descendants lose the brachas and they are given over to Esau doesn't necessarily mean that Esau has to persecute Yaakov, subjugate him and oppress him and enslave him. It merely means that Yaakov becomes the main power and has the main wealth. The fact that, excuse me, that Esau becomes the main power and the main wealth. The fact that Esau wants to use this power and dominion to enslave and oppress and persecute the Jews is his own free choosing. That is not in the brachos. You see? In other words, the fact that he gets brachos does not necessitate that he has to oppress and persecute the Jews. It merely would mean that Yaakov does not have them. But when Esau does get them, since he hates the Jews so violently, he, of course, freely chooses to oppress them and to enslave them. That is a very important idea, as we shall see later. The fact that the brachos don't necessitate Esau getting uh, or, 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 in other words, it doesn't necessitate the fact that Esau will persecute the Jews. It merely means that he will have the wealth and power. But you don't have to be an oppressor to the people that you subjugate, that are under your dominion. The fact that Esau does oppress and persecute and enslave the Jews is of his own free will. And we will see the significance of that later. Now, I have now answered three questions so far. But, before I go on to answer the fourth question, which I had previously posed, I want to ask at this point a, a very important question, which logically comes right now. And that is, if the repercussions of Yitzchak's revelations to Esau, of the weakness of Yaakov, is so devastating, as seen by the Zoya, because that is what enabled Esau to be a prosecutor, and that is what, of course, has gotten us into Golis, right? Then why didn't the Rebbe Shalom warn Yitzchak of the terrible consequences that would result if he tells Esav this side? Why didn't the Rebbe Shalom reveal to Yitzchak that if you are going to tell Esav that he is eligible because of his tears to get the brachas back, and not only that, but if you're going to reveal the secret of the weakness of Yaakov and his descendants, and what is that secret? That the brachas themselves are conditional upon the observance of the mitzvahs by Yaakov and his descendants, if you're going to reveal that to him, then what you are going to be doing is in effect putting a sword in his hands to destroy the Jews. Why didn't the Rebbe tell him that? 
This is the question that I want to ask. And the truth is, is that he, the answer is in the Posik which was said by Yitzchak to Esav. In other words, when Yitzchak spoke to Esav, he spoke a prophecy, and he himself did not realize the prophetic meaning in one of the statements that he said to Esav. And the prophetic meaning is why the Rabbi Nishlam did not tell this to Yitzchak. He didn't reveal to Yitzchak about the terrible consequences of Esav knowing this. Where is this prophetic meaning and in what Pasuk does it say? It says that when Yitzchak tells Esav, And you shall serve your brother. This is what Yitzchak tells Esav. In other words, that Esav shall serve Yaakov. In other words, he will minister to Yaakov and fulfill the needs of Yaakov. That is what is meant by the idea when one serves another. That you minister and you fulfill the needs of that person that you serve. Now, if you will take a look at the word ta'avoid, it is spelled tof, ayin, beis, dalad. Now, it is spelled without a vav, yet we still read it ta'avoid. In other words, decree. The way we read the word ta'avoid is ta'avoid. In other words, you shall serve. But if you look at the ksiv of ta'avoid, in other words, the way it is written in the Torah, it is written tof, ayin, beis, dalad, without a vav. Therefore, you can read it ta'aved. In other words, if you read it according to the way it's written, in other words, the decree of the ksiv, then you read it ta'aved. If you read it, however, not the way it is written, but the way we all we read it according to tradition, it's ta'aved. Therefore, the meaning of ta'aved, which is decree, the way we normally and traditionally read it, it means you shall serve. In other words, Esav shall serve Yaakov. However, if you read it the way it is written, without a verb, then you read it, And you shall enslave your brother. You shall subjugate. You shall oppress your brother. So we see that depending on the way you read it, that depends or that declares two different kinds of meanings. One is that, And you shall serve your brother. This is what Yitzchak is telling Esav. You shall serve your brother, Yaakov. If you read it the other way, according to the decree of the Ksiv, according to the way it's written, Yitzchak would be telling Esav, And you shall enslave, you shall uh, oppress, and you shall subjugate your brother. Two different or two opposing communications. Now, we saw before in the Medrash that... Since by revealing the secret of Yaakov's weakness to Esau, when Yitzchak revealed that to Esau, the secret of the weakness of Yaakov, that the brachas are conditional upon the observance of the mitzvahs by Yaakov and his descendants. Since when Yitzchak revealed that to Esau, Yitzchak was unwittingly enabling Esau to be a terrible makatreg, to be a devastating prosecutor against Yaakov and his descendants. And since we know that Esau certainly hates Yaakov, as it is stated in the Torah, by Yistoim, Esav is Yaakov, and Esav hated Yaakov, of course, who is his brother. Then we know that when he does get the power of the brochus from Yaakov, he will surely try to oppress and destroy Yaakov, which means, of course, that he will try to oppress and to, of course, enslave the Jews. Therefore, since Yitzchak is telling this to Esav, even though he is not telling him directly to enslave the Jews, but since he is telling him the secret of Yaakov's weakness, it is as if Yitzchak had told him directly, Esav, 
You can, if you want to, enslave and oppress and destroy your brother. How? Because the mitzvahs, of course, are the condition by which they keep it. And of course, if they don't do mitzvahs, then of course, you may take them back. But we know that Esau hates Yaakov, so therefore we know that he is going to try to destroy him. So therefore, when Yitzchak told Esau that idea or that secret, the condition upon which Yaakov has these brachas, he was really making Esau a makatreg, and he was unwittingly and unknowingly, of course, giving an instrument or sword to Esau by which he could destroy Yaakov. Therefore, the Torah alludes to this, that Yitzchak was really telling him two things. And it alludes to this by writing ta'avoid without a vav. In other words, it can be read two ways. It can be read ta'avoid, you shall serve your brother. It can be read ta'avoid, you shall enslave and impress your brother. Therefore, we see that the Torah is really telling us that Yitzhak really made two communications to Esau. Both statements were made to Esau. One was made knowingly, in other words, he was aware of what he was saying. And the other was unknowingly and unwittingly that Yitzhak himself was not aware that if he tells Esav the fact that he is eligible and that he can get the brochas back, he will be making Esav a tremendous makatrik. And since Esav hates Yaakov, he will try to destroy Yaakov. So therefore, the Torah tells us that both of these communications were made to Esav by Yitzhak. One was, and you shall serve your brother, because that is what Yitzchak knowingly said to Esau. And the second thing is, you, will, you can destroy and enslave your brother. And that message was communicated by Yitzchak to Esau, of course, unwittingly. But since that is the repercussions of telling Esau the secret of the weakness of Yaakov and his descendants, it is as if he had made that statement directly to Esau. And therefore the Torah indicates that by showing us in the very word of Ta'avoid, both communications. The Kree is, and you will serve your brother. The Kree of the Ksiv, in other words, the way you can read the Ksiv, and you shall enslave and oppress your brother. Therefore the Torah is telling us that you should know Yaakov told Esau two messages. One is what he wanted to tell him, and the second is what he unknowingly and unwittingly and by accident told him, by revealing the secret of the weakness of Yaakov and his descendants. Now, you'll notice, however, that even though we can read it, Ta'aved, which is the way you can read the Ksiv, the way it's written, in other words, because it is written that way, but we don't read it that way. We don't say V'yesochichu Ta'aved. It can be read that way, but we don't read it that way. How do we read it? We read it Ta'aved, and you shall serve your brother. Which means that the primary meaning of the statement V'yesochichu Ta'aved is the way we read it traditionally, because that is the way we read it. And what is that? That you shall serve your brother. Therefore, the primary meaning of the Pasuket is, and you shall serve your brother. And this reveals to us a tremendous seed, a tremendous secret. What is that? What is that awesome secret that the Torah reveals? That is, that whether Yaakov observes the mitzvahs, and therefore, he has a right to keep the blessings of wealth and dominion. And therefore, of course, Esau truly serves Yaakov, because Esau does not have power and dominion, or whether Yaakov sins. And of course, as a result of that, Esau will get the brachas. In other words, he will get the power and dominion. And of course, he will enslave and persecute Yaakov, or rather, enslave and persecute the Jews. Then you should know, he is still only serving Yaakov. 
no matter what he does, whether Esav gets the brachas because Yaakov sins, or whether Esav does not get the brachas because Yaakov does not sin. In either way, he will be serving Yaakov. Because even if Yaakov loses the brachas because he sins, then Esav will of course get the brachas, he will then persecute Yaakov, and as a result of that, he will be the instrument of an hogesa yuchot of course, which, is, which will bring about the tikkun of creation by causing Yaakov to suffer and thereby to massacre creation and to earn Olam Haba. In other words, Esav, by causing Yaakov to suffer, is enabling Yaakov to correct or to rectify creation, to massacre creation through method B, which is exile, subjugation, and persecution. And thereby, of course, Yaakov will be successfully earning Olam Haba. Thus, he is actually fulfilling Yaakov's desire of getting Olam Haba because he is the instrument of Anogasi Yuchot, which is that idea, which is a backup system, which makes sure that the Jews will be massacring the Bria, even if it's through method B, suffering. And Esav, of course, will be that instrument. Therefore, even if Esav gets the brochus because Yaakov sins, it doesn't make a difference. Esav serves Yaakov's ends no matter what Yaakov does because of Anhogese Yichud. Therefore, Yitzchak says to Esav prophetically, you shall serve your brother. That is the creed. That is the main import of that passage. That you shall always serve your brother. Even though you can enslave him and make him suffer because he does the chatoim and therefore you can get the brochus and that is what you can do. And even though that is what you will ultimately do to enslave and to make them suffer, okay, it doesn't make a difference. In the end, you will have served his needs. You will have served the needs of Yaakov ultimately. And that is that either Yaakov will massacre the Bria through his own mitzvahs and therefore keep the brochus of power and wealth and dominion, or Yaakov will have massacre the Bria through method B, which is the persecutions and, the, and to be uh, subjected to other nations and exile. And of course, you will have done that to Yaakov, therefore Yaakov will have fulfilled the purpose of creation by being massacred in the Bria through method being, and you will be the very instrument by which he does that. So no matter which way you turn, you will serve Yaakov. That is what he's saying. In other words, we see therefore that no matter what Esav does, he ultimately will be serving Yaakov. And therefore, Yitzchok prophetically told that to Yaakov, that is the direct message, that you will serve your brother. Is the message to Esav, unwittingly, that you can enslave your brother, if he does chatoim, and therefore you get the brachas, and therefore it's possible for you to get the brachas back and enslave him. And the reality, of course, is via tavoid. Either way, you will always be serving your brother because you will be the ultimate instrument of Anhogas Yichud. Therefore, the Rebbeim does not warn Yitzchak of the consequences of telling Esav the secret of Yaakov's weakness. Why? Because if Esav enslaves Yaakov, it merely means that he will be the instrument of Anhogas Yichud to bring a tikkun to the Bria and get Jews to Olam Habo rather than some other nation. Because if they lose method A, they must go into method B. And if they go into method B, then they have to suffer. So then let Esav be the one, if he's the one who wants to do it to them. In other words, if the Jews sin, and they need method B, 
the exile, the subjugation and the persecution, in order to bring about the true tikkun of the Bria, then it comes out that if Esav gets that power and dominion and wants to enslave the, and, and persecute the Jews, because the Jews must go into Method B, then let him be the very instrument to bring about Method B to the Jews since Esav freely wants to desire to oppress them. In other words, ultimately Esav himself and his descendants by subjugating and persecuting the Jews for so many years, so many thousands of years, is really the very one who is bringing the Jews closer to Ilm Habba because he is the true instrument of Anhogas Yichud. And Anhogas Yichud, of course, is that ideal or that Anhogah of the Rabbani Shlam that ultimately makes sure that the universe, that creation, will achieve its intended perfected state, that Tikkun HaKloli, and that the, it will achieve its intended perfect, perfected state through the Jews. And therefore, of course, the Jews will earn Ilam Habad. We now understand that Yitzchak unwittingly was repeating and reiterating, reiterating a full prophecy told to Rivka when she went to find out why she was having so much birth pains. If you recall, it says previously, When the prophecy was revealed to Rivka, when she went to inquire of the Rabbanishlam what was happening, it says, The older shall serve the younger. Now, most people learn shot that it means that ultimately, Esau will serve Yaakov and Yemaisa Mashiach. But the truth is, it doesn't mean that. It means that Esau will serve Yaakov even in Ulam Hazer, even before Yemaisa Mashiach. How? How? Because even before that, because if he enslaves and oppresses Yaakov, then he still will ultimately fulfill Yaakov's needs and desires for Ulam Abba by being the instrument of Anhogas Yichud. Therefore, it comes out that he does serve Yaakov. Because he is the one that enables Yaakov to go through method B, and as a result of that, to bring a tikkun to the Bria. No, in other words, interestingly enough, if you take a look, over there by Rav Ya'avoid Tso'ir, it also says, Ya'avoid, the Kree is Yud Ayin Beis Dalet. And he shall, and he shall uh, serve without a Vav. So notice, the Kree is Ya'avoid, that he shall serve, but the Ksiv is Ya'avid, the same idea. Ya'avid, of course, means shall enslave and oppress. In other words, the younger, or rather the old one, in one way of reading it, the traditional way, is that the older one shall serve the younger. But the, the Kree of the Ksiv, the way we read it, according to the way it's written, we would read it, and the older shall enslave the younger. The exact same thing that went on by the Esochichotavoid, it's the exact same idea. So therefore, what it means is that the same prophecy which indicated that the older one, which is Esav, shall serve the younger one, even if he's Ya'aved, if he persecutes and enslaves the Jews, that same prophecy that was indicated before is now also being mentioned now. Because... Esav shall ultimately be the instrument of Anhogas HaYichud, which brings, of course, the ultimate tikkun to the Bria and gets the Jews Ulam Habba. In other words, when it says Verav and the older shall serve the younger, it means Verav he shall serve the younger, even if it's Verav that the old one shall oppress 
the young one. And the truth is that is what the prophecy is. Because when the, they told the Tarifka what will happen, what they were really telling us two things. That the old one shall serve the young one. How? Because the old one shall oppress the young one. This in truth shall be. Therefore, the Torah indicates that by having the variant readings, either the traditional reading of Ya'avoid or the reading according to the way it's written, Ya'avoid. Because the Torah is telling you there, or the prophecy that was revealed to Rivka, is that it will be truly so that the way the Jews will bring a tikkun to the Bria is because Esau shall oppress them. And of course, that means that ultimately Esau will be serving Yaakov. But when Yitzchak told that to Esau, <clears throat> he wasn't saying what will be. He was saying, You shall serve your brother. And that if you want, you can enslave your brother. He didn't tell him to do it. Unwittingly, he was telling him that if you want, it can be done. Because this whole statement was made unwittingly. In the sense that he was not aware that Yisra would now become the Mekatrik of the Jews. So therefore, when it says, It means that you can, if you want, you have the possibility of getting the brachas back and enslaving and oppressing, oppressing Yaakov. But in any case, even if you can do it, and if you wind up doing it, you will serve your brother. But in the previous passage, by the prophecy told to Rivkan, that is a prophecy of what will be. And that is that Esav will ultimately enslave Yaakov, but that enslavement is nothing more than Yaavoid. He will serve Yaakov, because since he is the instrument of Hanogas HaYichud, he will of course ultimately bring the Tikkun to the Bria via the Jews, and of course he will serve Yaakov because the Jews will get what they want, which of course is Ulim Habo. We can now understand the idea that I just mentioned previously. That when Esau takes the brochus back from Yaakov, all he takes back is wealth and dominion. It doesn't mean he has to enslave Yaakov. But since he wants to do that because he hates Yaakov, so therefore the Rabbanishlam makes him the object or the instrument of Anagas HaYichud. In other words, Esau himself self-selects himself to be the instrument of Anagas HaYichud since he wants to use the wealth and power which is given to him by the brachas and which Yaakov lost. He wants to use them to enslave and oppress Yaakov because he hates Yaakov. So therefore the Rabbani Shalom makes him the instrument of Anhogas HaYichud in order to bring about the teaching of creation and get, of course, Ulam Habor to Yaakov, to Yaakov and, of course, his descendants. In other words, Esau freely chooses to be the Anhogas HaYichud since he wants to really uh, oppress and persecute the Jews. So the Rabbi Shalom says, okay, if you want to do that through your free will, because you don't have to, just because you have dominion doesn't mean you have to perse persecute the Jews, but if you want to because your own free will, as a result of that, you will therefore be the object or the instrument of Anhogas HaYichud, and therefore you will be Yahavoid, you will serve the younger, because you will ultimately bring the Jews to their ultimate redemption, and then, of course, into their rightful place in Ilim Habbo. Now, we know, as I mentioned previously, that Yitzchak was not aware of the prophecy which was told to Rivka when a y a Yaakov and Esau were born. I had mentioned this previously. So it is interesting to note 
that Yitzchok, 63 years later, is reiterating and confirming the prophecy which was told to Rivka at that time, that the younger, or rather the older, shall serve the younger, even if he enslaves them. Therefore, Yitzchok is now saying the same thing to Esav, even though he is not aware of the prophecy that was told to Rivka. Because he's saying to Esav now that you shall serve your brother, and even if you enslave your brother, you will ultimately, of course, serve him. And of course, even though now what he's telling him is that you can do this, he's telling him the, of the possibility, of course, the previous prophecy told to Rivka is the true reality of what will ultimately be. That it will be truly so that Esav will enslave Yaakov, and in that way he will serve Yaakov.